1: I'm not gonna look at that pornography anymore. I'm not gonna look at it anymore. I'm not gonna look at it anymore. Oh, thank God. I'm not gonna think about her anymore. I'm not gonna think about her anymore. I'm not gonna get into bed with her. I'm not gonna commit that sexual immorality. And then all of a sudden, there you are in the bed with him and you've relieved the suffering. Listen, Jesus Christ was tempted in every way and he never gave in. He knows the
0: ultimate, ultimate feeling of resistance. In the book of Hebrews, we learn that Jesus Christ was tempted in every way, just like we are. But when he was faced with temptation, he never gave in. He never experienced the release of scratching that itch of temptation. He resisted, and he felt the discomfort of resisting. Pastor Danny's going to lay out a basic guide to resisting temptation today in the same way that Jesus did. You don't have to keep giving in to that same old sin and feeling that shame. Jesus gave you a way out of it. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 with today's edition of The Living Word.
1: I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. Maybe the moon was out. What you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The Son of Man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. David's out, he's looking at the stars, he's perhaps looking at the moon, and he's thinking about all the creation. And he says, as he looks at the creation, he says, oh, Lord, in all this beauty, and all this creation, who am I? Who am I that you would consider me, that you would have thoughts about me, that you would have thoughts about us as human beings? Now, I'll never forget years ago on a trip, mission trip to Bolivia, and a few of us that were together were way up in the mountains, way up in the mountains, highest I've ever been. And we were out at night on this road and driving, and there's no other traffic. It's every maybe hour and a half, you'd see another car. And uh, we stopped. We pulled over to the side of the road, and we all got out. And when I got out, I looked up, and I, was, I have never experienced anything like that because I've never seen the stars that bright before. It was a dark night. There wasn't a moon that night. There were no street lights where we were. We were in the middle of nowhere, way up in the mountains. You know what we did? We laid down on the road. Just laid down on the road. And for how long, I don't know. I do not Who cares? <laughs> I wasn't going to look at a watch. You know, and we just looked up. And those stars were seemed about as close as these stage lights to me. And I've never experienced anything like that since. I've never seen the stars like I saw them that night. It was incredible. You can imagine David. He's looking up and he's saying, Lord, in this creation and what you've done, the stars, the moon, who am I? Who am I? What is man that you're mindful of him? Now, I hope you're still in Psalm 8 because look at the next verse, verse 6. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What's David thinking about when he goes to the all flocks and herds and beasts and stuff? Well, he's going all the way back to creation. Genesis chapter 1. Let me just read you one verse. Turn if you like. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over All the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Over all the earth. I don't know if you realize God's original intention for you and me. You know what God's original intention in creating you and I? He creates us a little lower than the angels, but he has plans for us. He has plans for us. We're going to be kings. We're going to be priests. We're going to have dominion. Dominion. We're going to rule. That was God's original intention when he created Adam and Eve. To rule over the earth. Now let me clue you in on this. If you're not aware, you and I do not rule over the earth right now. We do not. You know who rules over the earth? Jesus called him the prince of this world. Ephesians 2, he's called the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That would be around our planet and, of course, earth. How come Satan's ruling the earth? Remember temptation in the wilderness, Jesus tempted by the devil, and one of the temptations was he took him up on this high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of this world. He says, all you got to do is bow down and worship me, and I'll, I'll give them to you. Now, that is not a temptation unless Satan has the right to give the kingdoms of this world to Jesus. It's not a temptation unless he has the right. How do you get that right? How do he become the ruler of this world? Well, Genesis chapter 1, you don't have to read much further. By the time you get to chapter 3, our great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, God puts them in paradise. He's already said, now enjoy. And, uh, you know, he gives Adam the most beautiful woman in all the world. She was the only woman in all the world, so she had to be the most beautiful. And uh, God performs his first marriage ceremony, and after the marriage ceremony, he says, Be fruitful and multiply. And you better know Adam was ready to obey that commandment. Oh, yeah. Honeymoon in paradise, all expenses paid. The man and his wife were naked, they felt no shame. There's no sin. And then the tempter comes, the devil comes, deceives the woman. She turns and she disobeys, and, and her husband disobeys with her. They both fall to temptation, and to sin. And that's why you and I are conceived in sin. And don't think you would have done better or I would have done better than Adam and Eve. Come on. They were our Michael Jordans in the garden. They fell. They failed. And in failing, they forfeited the dominion that God intended for them. Do you know that? One of the titles for Satan, Lucifer the devil, is usurper. 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 To usurp is to take something that's not rightfully yours. You usurp it. And here, Satan would not have been able to usurp except that Adam and Eve forfeited and allowed him to come and take what was rightfully God given to them. They forfeited. You see, a few minutes ago, some of you who have followed the prosperity teachers, and I use that word that God's intention is for us to have dominion, dominion, you're thinking, finally, Pastor Danny is getting on the right track, and he's going to teach the prosperity gospel. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I don't believe it's biblical. Because let me tell you something. If you believe in the prosperity gospel, there are some people in Colorado that are having a real difficult time with the prosperity gospel today. Some people having a real difficult time. Back in our text... You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. But wait a minute, wait a minute. If God put everything under our feet, he gave us dominion, what happened? Well, we forfeited that, and we gave the right to Satan. And now Satan is ruling this world, and he came to kill, to rob, and to destroy. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy me. And all the evils of the world, it's not God's fault. It's Satan's fault, and it's our fault. And put everything under his feet. And putting everything under him, verse 8, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. We do not. If we did, there wouldn't be families grieving in Colorado. There wouldn't be families grieving here if everything was subject to him. And again, God intended that for us, for us to rule and reign by his authority. 1 John 3, 8, the last part simply says this, that Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. What we allowed Satan to do in the Garden of Eden, and we forfeited our right that God intended for us, and we let Satan usurp, usurp the new covenant, Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, guess what? Because of his sacrifice on the cross, everything that we gave away, he got back for us. Did you hear that? Everything we gave away, everything Satan now has in terms of ruling this world, one day, one day Jesus is coming, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to make things right once again. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's coming a day. Listen, I am going to live in a world. Blows my mind. I am going to live in a world where there's no more death. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I'm going to live in a world where there's no more death. You will not go to a funeral in the world I'm going to live in. Not only will you not go to a funeral, there's no more mourning. You won't cry over anybody. You won't cry over the loss of anything or anyone. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying. Imagine the world world that I'm going to live in one day. I can't even get a hold of it in my mind, but I know it's true because God told me. I'll never cry again. Never cry again. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying. Oh, and this last one, I appreciate, oh, there'll be no more pain. There won't be no more pain. You don't even have a pain in the neck in the world I'm going to live in. And thank God you won't be one. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, verse 9, but we see Jesus. I see Jesus by faith, but it's not blind faith. Come on. Not blind faith. There's more evidence about Jesus Christ and for him and the gospel than there is about George Washington. And I believe in George Washington, but I believe more in Jesus Christ. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He tasted death for you. Fascinating. Let me just read you one scripture and we're going to go on. Romans chapter 8. Don't turn to it. Let me just read it for you. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings, you've got to really get a hold of this. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. The creation itself waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? To put it in context, we don't have complete dominion now. We've got to deal with sickness, we've got to deal with disease, and we've got to deal with death, and we've got we to deal with those things. And thank God Jesus has made it possible for us to be able to. Who hopes for what he already has, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, We wait for it patiently. Okay, let's finish the text. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, And bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect. It means mature through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Did you get that? Even though he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, even though he's my Savior, even though he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm seated there spiritually and will one day be on the throne with him, and yet he doesn't say, You're my servant, you're my subject. He says, You're my brother. Proverbs 18 24 says, There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know his name. His name is Jesus. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I'll declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I'll sing your praises. And again, I'll put my trust in him, my brother. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear, of death, please keep your ears open. Until I was 19 years old, I was really afraid to die. You know you don't know when you're going to die, right? You know you're going to die, but you don't know when you're going to die. You know that, right? You're going to die. Listen, there ain't nothing you can do about it, okay? And I look in the mirror every day, and There's nothing I can do about it. Every time I get on an airplane, I think, oh, God. May your angels, if these wings die and these engines die, may your angels take this thing home. Now, look, I, Till I was 19 years old, I was afraid to die because I'd been told as a young boy about Jesus. I believed in Jesus. I believed that he died on the cross. I believed in the gospel. I just never received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and so I knew I was going to hell. I knew. I knew that. That's why I was afraid to die. That's why you get in the car and you, you punch in that eight-track 8-track's a little rectangular little thing. Uh, Used to play music. And you turn the Doobie Brothers up real loud. And you take an extra sip of that beer or whatever your choice of drink is. You take an extra toke and you go party, man. Because I didn't want to think about death. I didn't want to think about partying. And I was afraid to die. I was afraid to die. And then 19 years old, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'll never forget that evening when I laid my head on the pillow, the amazing confidence that if I died in my sleep, I knew where I was going. I was going to be with Jesus. Now, I I know I look tough, but I'm a little bit wimpy. I'm I'm still not afraid of death. I am a little concerned about the process. I've told the Lord for years, there's two choices. You can take your pick, Lord. I either want to die in my sleep, or I want the bomb to drop, drop right on my pointed head. A jump bomb drops on your head. You stand before Jesus. You say, Lord, how'd I get here? What happened? He says, the bomb dropped right on your pointed head. I said, Lord, what about the other option of dying in my sleep? He said, well, I, I thought this would be more exciting. <laughs> but ever since I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I have not been Afraid to die. Now I don't know anybody in the right mind. I'm certainly not going to hang out with somebody who says, "Well, I'd like to have a little pain before I go. Let's kind of prolong it." You got screws loose in your upper section there. I'm not hanging out with you, but we're all going to die. Guess what? You don't have to be afraid of death. That's why Jesus came. That's why He gave His life. That's why He shed His blood so that you wouldn't have to be afraid of death because you don't know when you're going to die. Let's finish it. Verse 16. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. I'm just going to tell you quickly, Abraham's descendants are spiritual descendants he's referring to. We know that from Jesus' conversation in John chapter 8 with Jewish people. And they say, we're Abraham's descendants children of Abraham. And he says, if Abraham were your father, you'd do what Abraham did. But you're trying to kill me. You're your father, the devil. So he's talking about spiritual descendants. And you just read Romans chapter 4, and it makes it very clear. What does it mean to be a spiritual descendant of Abraham? Very quickly, God said to Abraham, through your seed, singular word, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We know Abraham and Sarah had a miracle child, and that child, Esau, or Isaac, was a type, a type, a representation of of the seed that was referred to by that singular word, Christ, Christ, Jesus Christ. And it says, when God spoke that to him, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Descendants of Abraham spiritually are just simply those who believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it puts your faith in Christ, the Messiah, Jesus and Abraham looked forward, and all the descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham, Old Covenant, looked forward to the coming Messiah. We look back at a Messiah that's already come. Same faith, same way to be saved. Are you with me? Okay. Abraham's descendants. That's who he's looking to help. Verse 17, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Only a human sacrifice was sufficient to pay the price for our sin. Couldn't be a goat or a bull or anything like that. You know, it had to be a human being. Jesus, the God-man. He's a high priest. A priest is different from a prophet. A prophet gets God's words and says, here's what God says. Here's what God says. A priest represents God before the people. He intercedes for them. He's our great high priest, Jesus. And he paid the price for our sin. And now he wants to help us. He wants to help us. Let me read you this. I couldn't have written it better. Mercy is more than an emotion. For example, suppose you were driving in the country and came across an accident in which a victim was lying in the road with no one to assist him. You ache for the person. You feel a surge of compassion, but you do nothing and drive on. Why? Because you're unmerciful. To be merciful, one must act to alleviate another's pain. Jesus repeatedly modeled this in the Gospels when he had compassion on the hungry or the ill or the grieving, and then mercy in meeting their needs. So we understand that in being our merciful high priest, Jesus emotionally gathers up our needs to himself, and then in mercy does something about them. This is a stupendous revelation. A God who has personal emotion at our miserable plight and then springs into action even more. Our Lord's compassion and mercy are sensitized by the fact that he was really one of us and experienced like miseries. He knows how it feels. Isaiah 53 about the Messiah says he was a man familiar with sufferings, and acquainted with grief. I hope you never say to the Lord this, Lord, you really don't know what I'm going through. That is not true. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ knows more of what you're going through than you can imagine. Hebrews four. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, just as we are, yet was without sin. Yet was without sin. He never failed. He never gave in to temptation. Some people take that and twist it and think, well, if he never gave in to temptation, he doesn't understand the, the weight of what I'm experiencing. No, no, he understands that even more. You understand, it was the hostess Twinkie that's your problem. And you're saying, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to eat it. Oh, I feel better. Why? You just gave in a temptation and you've relieved your suffering. You say, I'm not going to look at that pornography anymore. I'm not going to look at it anymore. I'm not going to look at it anymore. Oh, thank God. I'm not going to think about her anymore. I'm not going to think about her anymore. I'm not going to get into bed with her. I'm not going to commit that sexual immorality. And then all of a sudden there you are in the bed with them and you've relieved the suffering. Listen, Jesus Christ was tempted in every way, and he never gave in. He knows the ultimate, ultimate feeling of resistance. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat, and the sweat was mixed with blood. It's a medical term called hematodrosis, where you're in such strain emotionally that the corpuscles begin to give way, and you actually begin to sweat blood mixed with your sweat. And he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to die. He didn't want to go to the cross. Father, if there's any other way, yet not my will. And he resisted, and he didn't give in. Don't ever say to God, don't ever say it, you don't know what I'm going through. He knows what you're going through. He wept, Jesus did, at the tomb of Lazarus. He knows what it is to lose somebody you love as a human being. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, is able to help those who are being tempted.
0: You've been listening to The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. People having idols might seem like an outdated idea, but the truth is people have all kinds of idols these days. It might not be a carved image or something that you literally bow down to, but what about your priorities? It could be sports or that TV show that you just can't miss or anything that takes your focus away from God and is put in a higher standing than Him. The book of Hebrews is great at highlighting how God should be in that top priority spot. And if anything else takes his place, then it's an idol. Do you see these areas in your life today? Well, we all have things that we need help to keep in check. And Hebrews provides a solid reminder of who God is and how nothing else can compare. We're so glad that you've taken the time to listen today. Here at The Living Word, we'd love for you to pray for this ministry. We always want to make sure that we're seeking Jesus first, just like Hebrews focuses on. We need God's guidance. So would you pray that we'd always recognize His voice? Thanks so much for praying. If you'd like to connect with us in person, check out ccfstpete.church for our service times. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us again next time to hear another message from this study in the book of Hebrews right here on The Living Word.